to Voices of the Belt and Road podcast, brought to you by the Belt and Road Advisory, your professional advisors on all matters concerning the Belt and Road Initiative. Voices of the Belt and Road is our flagship podcast, and with each episode, we'll hear the personal stories of people who are part of the Belt and Road Initiative. The aim of this podcast is to demystify the initiative by interviewing a broad array of people whose lives are impacted day in and day out by the world's largest cross-border trade initiative and infrastructure build-out. On this podcast, in addition to university researchers, think tank experts, and policymakers, you can also hear from business people, workers, and countless others involved in the Belt and Road. You'll hear people tell their own personal stories in their own languages, because at the end of the day, the Belt and Road Initiative is changing people's lives, and we want you to hear it from them. Please enjoy this week's podcast, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Voices of the Belt and Road podcast. I'm your host, Greg Stetz. Today, we'll talk about the way that Chinese infrastructure companies launch their projects and how do their operations compare to those of multinational companies. With us is Bruno Lopito, the founder of Siveco, which is the largest maintenance consultancy in China and the only foreign company advising Chinese infrastructure companies on operations and maintenance of their projects. It is a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you very much. Please, tell us a bit about your background. What is it that you do? Well, I've, I've, been, uh, I've personally been in China since 1999. So, um, believably enough, it's about 20 years. Um, I, um, I used to deal with Chinese uh, power projects, power plants, uh, mostly major hydro and uh, nuclear power plant projects. And uh, this led me in, uh, in 2004 to, uh, to, to a decision to set up the, this company, Siveco, which is my company. So what do we do? We, we provide what we call smart ONM, smart operation and maintenance um, solutions for infrastructure projects. So infrastructure projects for us, it's primarily environmental projects, waste, water, um, and uh, energy projects, so the, the, the power plants mostly, and a few other infrastructure projects as, as well. Um, just for example, next week I'm going to Vietnam for a port. Uh, we're talking to a few airports. So we're bidding for some railway projects in the Middle East, but, but mostly it's environmental and energy projects. So smart ONM, uh, what's that? Uh, it's, I would say it's a very niche business, a very specialized business, which combines um, infrastructure maintenance know-how, which is our background, which is my background, and, and technologies, software primarily, that we develop in, 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 Shanghai, in, the, in our Shanghai R&D center. So we use this know-how and this technology to help our customers, which are the infrastructure owners, to, to optimize the life cycle cost of their of their facilities, of their equipment. Um, so typically we engage in projects very early uh, during the, um, the, the, the construction bidding stage, the EPC uh, uh, bidding stage, so before anything is actually built, and so that we can involve uh, to prepare O&M, to prepare operation maintenance during the construction of the infrastructure so that they can be ready when they, when they start operation. So as I said, it's a very niche business, very specialized. Uh, there's not so many companies doing what we do. We don't really have any direct competitors. We have many indirect competitors, but we, we're the only company doing this from China and all, from China all over the world on the Belt and Road. So you're 
your belt and road topic is, is the, um, very close to our, our heart, let's say. So what exactly is your role when you work with Chinese companies implementing belt and road projects? You know, we're dealing with maintenance. I said operation maintenance is really maintenance. We, we, the background of this is, is typically not the priority for those Chinese uh, builders and Chinese operators for, for different historical reasons. Uh, but when they face um, a client um, um, abroad, a government or uh, uh, an, an owner, infrastructure owner overseas on the Belgian road, um, those clients tend to have a more, more mature thinking or more advanced thinking on, on the topic of, of maintenance. And they have specific demands, uh, which, which maybe the Chinese builder is not, is not used, used to. To, to maybe try to explain this a little bit, the, the, the Chinese companies, they primarily have worked in China, or historically has, have worked in China, building a lot of, of power plants, for example, and they are used to work in their Chinese ecosystem with their suppliers, their friends, their sister companies, their, their, the government. So they all know each other very well. And it, it tends, this, this relationship between all those Chinese companies tend to um, iron out a little bit all the or the mismanagement issues, or maybe lack of planning, lack of thinking about maintenance when you build a, a plant, for example. For example, you have you, are, you have you have some kind of sister company relationship with uh, the company that pro- produced the equipment used in in the plants. So when there is a problem, that company will send people, you know, the, the next day, or, or the construction company will leave people on site after construction until everything is running very smoothly. It, it tends to work like this in the Chinese ecosystem. But when, when you, you take the same construction company and they go abroad, they build a, a power plant in Indonesia, uh, the, the Chinese ecosystem disappears. They bring along some suppliers, but then they have to work locally with local firms, with the local clients, um, with the local uh, engineering companies and so on. So then all the maybe inefficiencies, all the lack of documentation, all the, um, the maintenance planning that they didn't do uh, become a, a huge problem. Uh, this, by the way, this is, uh, I think it's a contributor to the, 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 the bad reputation that, uh, if, I, if I may say so, that, that, that Chinese companies have uh, abroad, a quality problem. Um, so then, then what do we do? We see Vico being very familiar with the way the Chinese companies work, the Chinese ecosystem, as I described it. We, we understand how they work. We understand why they work like this. In fact, we can work like with them very well because most of my, a big part of my business is in, is in China. Um, but we also understand how the international uh, operator or owner uh, works. What do they expect? So we can, we can bridge the, the gap be- between the two. Then we do that through, through what I describe as a smart O&M uh, um, a project. But, but so in practice, in practice, the foreign owner, uh, whatever, the Indonesia uh, power company and, and the Chinese EPC company that builds their plants, realize that they have a, a gap uh, typically around, around maintenance preparation, that they're preparing all the technical documentation, preparing the maintenance plans, preparing the spare parts list before, before startup. Then they, they find us, let's say, and they, they appoint us in a, in a type of role that, that combines uh, some strategic maintenance consulting at the very early stage of the project, and then we deliver for them um, a maintenance management system. It's usually called like this, so it's an IT solutions um, which contains all the technical documentation, all the maintenance plans, and we build up that technical documentation with them, and we hand it over to the to the to the foreign operator uh, uh, 
Um, so we, we work with the Chinese construction company and equipment suppliers to prepare all the technical documentation to hand over to the, the owner uh, abroad, Indonesia in my example. Uh, and that, that process, which, which follows the entire construction project, so it could be a, a couple of years, helps um, you know, facilitate communication and kind of bridge the gap, as I said, between the two, um, between the two, the two sides. Please give us an example of a particularly interesting or memorable Belt and Road project you worked on. In, in around 2009 or 2010, uh, we were in a, in a tender process with uh, different Chinese EPC companies for gas turbine power plant projects in uh, Algeria, Algeria in North Africa. And the Chinese companies were supposed to win all the projects. And China has, uh, Algeria has been building... Uh, Lots of power plants, a very large uh, uh, power capacity in the past uh, 10 years. Um, the Chinese were supposed to win, and then something happened between the two governments, and the Chinese bidders were excluded, formally excluded from all the power projects in Algeria. That was a disaster for us, because that means that meant we lost all the projects. There, was, there were eight projects bidding at that time. Um, and we found that Korean companies had won most of the projects, and the Turkish company had won, won an, another one. So we, uh, it was a difficult time. We didn't have any relationship with those companies in Korea. But we went to knock on doors. We, went to, we made phone calls. And then we, we, uh, we, we actually found a way to, um, to work with the Korean companies that, that actually didn't have um, a predefined uh, supplier. It, it was kind of a milestone for us, actually, because we, we, uh, we developed additional relationship with, with those Korean companies which are actually competitors to the Chinese uh, EPC companies. But for us, we do everything from China. So this is also Belt and Road. So how would you define the advantages and disadvantages of Chinese infrastructure companies in comparison to their competitors from other countries? How do their standards of construction and maintenance of infrastructure compare? It's, of course, a very big topic. And you've, you've all, we've all heard... Um, the stories, all the bad stories, and maybe the bad reputation that, that Chinese EPC companies seem, seem to have a bad quality, bad construction problems, and, and uh, a lot of it is in relationship to, to preparing for operation, for in relation to, to, to maintenance. Um, I think the reality is a little bit different from what the, the media uh, say. But if you look at the infrastructures in China, are they are they bad quality? Are they are they badly built? Are they poorly operated? Are they poorly maintained? Uh, well, no, not, not really. I mean, it's working very well. Um, and I think, uh, of course, China now, especially in recent years, is, is considered a, a, a brilliant uh, case study of a success story of, of infrastructures uh, build up and operation on, on a much bigger scale. So what, what, what's happening then with those, with those uh, Chinese builders ab abroad? So I, I think for me, the major... Um, contributing factor to this is what I tried to describe before this uh, the lack of a Chinese ecosystem uh, in those countries and that that creates uh, problems and perceived problems with construction quality and and so on um, there's um, there was also a World Bank um, study done a few years ago the uh, World Bank is a major lender for infrastructure projects in, in, uh, in uh, developing countries of course 
And uh, most World Bank projects are, are built by Chinese companies because they are, they are the cheapest uh, bidders. And the World Bank did a study on this, and they based on numbers, on statistics, on survey, based on, on, on real, real numbers. And they, they, their study showed that the Chinese builders were not worse than the others. In fact, they were, they were quite good, and sometimes very good. But, and that was uh, the official finding from the report, but, but they were less consistent. Uh, you know, they were less consistent from one project to the next. But that's what I see in, uh, in, in my day-to-day business. There's a lack of, of management system, uh, of, of methodologies when it comes to, uh, to construction and, 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 and maintenance. There's a lack of, of tools. So the quality of a project tends to rely on the, on, on the project team. I simplify a little bit this, of course, much more complex than, than, than this. But, but so this, the quality of Chinese projects is less consistent. Uh, from one project to another, this is this 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 is an issue. But overall, the quality is is good. So th- this is precisely where where my company com- comes in. I mean, we don't solve all the problems far 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 from this. But uh, from um, an operation and maintenance angle, which is for an infrastructure project, you know, you build it, it takes three years maybe if it's a power plant, and then you operate it for thirty years. So operation and maintenance is most most of the life of, of the facility. So from the maintenance angle, we, we precisely try to take care of this of this problem. We bring in a methodology, tools, management tools to try to bring a consistent um, approach uh, that can help Chinese builders to to um, um, to do uh, better from one project to another. Please tell us a bit more about what problems do Chinese companies working in infrastructure field run into when they're working abroad, away from the Chinese ecosystem? What are the typical problems that they face? Uh, one of them is, is technical documentation. Chinese builders, so I oversimplify the story a little bit here, but uh, Chinese builders tend to, to do a little bit of engineering uh, and then they go, they go and build. And then they will they find problems. They find that whatever they design is doesn't totally match the need, or they find that the material is not available. The, the pipe of this diameter is not available for whatever reason. So they have to they have to adjust the design when the project is already ongoing. Um, and that that it's an advantage uh, of like flexibility in a Chinese project. Uh, and they, the ecosystem, as I described it, can, can adjust to, to that. So they do a lot of changes on, on site. The problem that it is very difficult to document uh, the, the, the plants. And we're talking about very complex plants or very complex facilities, so you need to have proper documentation. If you don't document well, actually some of the changes that you do on site, design change or material change or equipment change, uh, uh, will impact, will have impact uh, in terms of construction, in terms of future operation, and nobody knows. Nobody knows it because the, the drawings have not been updated, the technical documentation is not available, nobody worked on, on the preventive maintenance plan. So it, it's a typical Chinese situation, and, and it, it has the advantage of flexibility and, and speed, and, and it's, but it's a problem overseas, especially when you have, uh, uh, if you go to Africa, where the, the, the African governments are used to work with European companies that work very differently. They do more engineering, and uh, if there's any change to do on site, they will go back to the, to the drawing board and, and, and get, get the changes approved before they, they modify anything on, on site. And so the documentation tends to be very good. So documentation, 
is a visible um, pain area where typically the, the, the foreign company, uh, uh, um, whatever, in Pakistan will, will, will complain. They will say this is not documented properly, the drawings are not as built, they are not up to date, where is the documentation, the plant is running already, where are the maintenance plans? So it, it will appear as a documentation problem. Then, of course, behind this, there's the bigger problem, which I, I started to describe. If, if, you, if, if you, you, you changes, design changes or, or, or equipment changes in the plant have not been well documented, uh, you may well have a problem, a technical problem, which is very hard to, to address. Uh, Chinese companies, to, to again, to oversimplify a little bit, uh, is t they tend to deal with that by, by having uh, technical people around. Uh, maybe the EPC company have, have, have a team of people who stay on site for, for one more year, or the, the supplier will come, will come uh, the equipment supplier will come to the site any time you need them. Uh, so they, they, if there is a problem, they, they, they would fix it uh, uh, quickly enough. If the plant is overseas in, in Pakistan or in Sri Lanka, uh, we've been dealing with those, those type of clients, they, they, you cannot do that. So the technical problem uh, will, will be a real, a real headache to manage. Um, and you'll have to manage locally with local suppliers. But then maybe there's no documentation. Nobody knows how this thing was, was, uh, was changed and why. So it has an impact on the, on the, the plant availability or the infrastructure uh, uh, availability because you may have more, more, more downtime or the thing is not working as it, as, as it should. So startup problems, uh, operational problems, technical problems uh, in, in operation. Uh, these are things that you, you hear and that you see a lot in, uh, in Chinese projects uh, abroad. But of course, because you're talking about infrastructure projects that have I mean, major, I mean, big, big financial value and, and a major impact to those countries, uh, you have, you have uh, geo, geopolitical issues coming, uh, com, com, coming in. Uh, so all the media story and the, the, the political stories uh, uh, worldwide are, are, of course, these people cannot or do not want to address the, the, the root cause. They, they have, a, they have a, a political or a geopolitical uh, stake in, in this, uh, which I think explains a lot of the, of the negative uh, media, media coverage. Over the years that you worked with Chinese companies, have you seen a process of improvement in terms of having more methodology and consistency of quality? Can we talk about any change? It's a good question. Yeah, I've, been, I've been at it for, for 20 years. Do we see improvement? Well, yes, we see a lot of improvements. Um, I would say driven by, driven by technology uh, and in mainland China driven by re regulatory changes. So pressure from the government on uh, you all know about safety, environmental compliance, but uh, more on, on, I would say, life cycle management of infrastructures, in, also in terms of cost. So the government is pushing, is putting pressure on those, on those, uh, all those government companies, and of course they have a lot of leverage. So I've seen a lot of improvement. At the same time, we really face the same, uh, the same issues we were facing um, 20 years ago. Uh, the fundamentals are still, are still there, and it, it takes time because it's a big country, there's a lot of different companies, and they build a lot, a lot of stuff. Uh, but it's improving a lot, and, and it's, it's visible, it's visible in terms of as a quality improvement on, on projects, but it's even more visible in the, um, in, on the technology side. If a company is building a, a, a plant, a power plant, or, 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 or a metro line today, 
uh, whether they are Chinese or uh, from another country. Anyway, they build with the latest technology. Um, so it also means, you know, uh, IoT and, and, and the smart technology and 4.0 technologies. And then there, of course, China has actually taken, in the, in the past few years, it's very, very recent, China has, I would say, has taken the lead uh, on using uh, new technology in projects. Why, why is that? Uh, partly is because the, the, in China we build so many new new stuff. I think in, in Europe they have to deal with all the old stuff, so it's maybe it's more difficult to to introduce new new technology. The, the Chinese they build they build from scratch, and um, so so new technology has has given uh, I think is giving an advantage uh, to to Chinese companies, and and there was always the idea um, coming from the Chinese government that technology will be used. Um, to improve the, um, the, the management practice. I remember um, even back in 2000, 2001, when I, when I, the first few years I was here, the, the government was running uh, technological or digital, digitalization programs in the, in the power industry at that time uh, and in the steel industry and with the idea that you, you bring in technology in your plant, this is going to improve your, your management process, which is not always true, by the way. But uh, but very early the the, gov- the Chinese government has been using technology software as, as a kind of leverage to bring in best practice, uh, best best better quality uh, management improvement into the projects. And it takes takes a lot of time. There's a lot of uh, a lot of failures, I would say, uh, trial and errors. But it's uh, visibly it's visibly better today. And I think in some in some industries where we are in. Uh, Chinese companies actually have become very advanced. You mentioned the technological breakthroughs. So how do they impact the world of infrastructure exactly? And how is China positioned within the trend of development of such technologies? There's still a lot of new new infrastructures being built. So if it's new, if you are building something now, it's, it's of course using the latest technology. That, that brings you an advantage. There's the advantage, advantage of scale. If you look at uh, metro lines, the number of metro lines built in China, as, as everybody knows, is, is just enormous. And this is new, new technology. So the Chinese are learning. Uh, I've had to learn very fast, and they have been very successful, so all the, which other countries have not been able to do. Plus, the Chinese are building the same things ab- abroad. So they, they multiply their, their opportunity to, to learn. Um, and then you have companies in, in China, I would say, for us it's very visible in, uh, uh, I think, the example of the water industry, water, water companies, municipal water companies. Now, this is a very old, uh, a traditional industry. That's the company that treats the water and then you, you know, you, the water that you drink. It's a kind of old business. It used to be very traditional. Uh, it's, it's government-owned and often is directly government-controlled. It's a municipal company, so it's like kind of people would think it's very, very old-fashioned business. And in the past few years, um, they have, thanks to government regulations that put pressure on them, thanks to having a lot of money available, they are they are rich companies. The government is giving them a lot of money, uh, and having access to new technology in, in the Chinese market, they have been uh, improving very fast. And a big part of our business. Uh, if you look at the mainland business, the uh, business we do in, in China, not so much on the outside on, on South China, but in China, uh, maybe maybe 50% of our business is in, in the water market. And um, water is a good example because you have some you have multinationals involved in the in the Chinese water market. Not not so many of them, 
but they, some companies that set up joint ventures with Chinese uh, municipal governments to run the, um, to operate the, the, the water system. And we found now that those, those multinationals, they feel they are, cannot say, lagging behind their Chinese partner, which is very interesting, a very interesting phenomenon. So an old-fashioned industry catching up very fast and becoming uh, internationally competitive against uh, uh, very uh, successful foreign companies. And I'm sure those water companies will start to, in, um, to, to involve on the Belt and Road as well, which has not been the case so far. Uh, but I think we will see this coming very, very soon. Speaking about those big state-owned enterprises, what are the biggest challenges of working with Chinese SOEs as a European SME operating in China? People, um, foreigners sometimes are surprised and they would ask me questions. Well, well why do you work with those uh, SOEs? You know, it must be very difficult. And why don't you work with multinationals? It's so much easier. Um, I would say the opposite is true. I, I think the multinationals tend to have long decision cycles uh, involving some people abroad, even involving some foreigners, whereas local companies decide locally. It's a very um, homogeneous uh, um, decision process. Uh, one, one culture, let's say a Chinese culture. We tend to have more, maybe that's even more surprising, we tend to have more, more payment problems with, with multinationals than, than with uh, local companies. Generally, I think it's easier to, or it's not difficult to work with, with SOEs. Now, as a, maybe the second half of the question is, as, is the, the, what do you say, the SME, the European SME. European or not, maybe doesn't make a difference, but a non-Chinese SME, a small company. We are not a very big company. We might be the leader in our field, but this is a small business. We have 50, 50 plus people here. I think if, you, if you're SME and you want to work with a big uh, SOE, you have to be... Uh, you have to be the number one somewhere, or you have to be—you have to be big. They—they they will work with. They want to work with the the, the best in the field, or some, something like this. Uh, so how do you do when you when you are SME? Um, so you have to be the best. You have to be the largest. You have to be uh, in your field at least. So it is better to be in a niche market, uh, uh, or you have to find a way to look to look like um, the best or the biggest. Bruno, thank you very much for appearing on our show and sharing with us your fascinating observations. It was a very insightful discussion. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to, to talk to you. this week's Voices of the Belt and Road podcast. If you want to learn more about the Belt and Road Initiative, check out our website at beltandroad.ventures. That's Belt and Road, one word, no spaces, and .ventures, V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S. On the website, you can subscribe to our weekly Belt and Road Bulletin and also follow our Belt and Road Advisory social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. That way, you'll always be up to date on what is happening on the Belt and Road. Thanks for tuning in and see you next week.